Good morning. Good morning. Um, so today, we're going to continue in our study and kind of our work through um, the life of Joseph in Genesis. Um, why don't you take a second real quick and think about, uh, do this for me. Close your eyes. I'll close mine too, so it won't be awkward. Uh, close your eyes and think about the best, the best day of your life. Whatever that might be. For some of us, it's going to be our wedding day or the birth of a child, um, a special moment with family. And now think of the worst day in your life. And then ask yourself honestly, did you feel God's presence in both of those things? Did you feel and recognize him that he was there with you in both those things? That is um, a hard question because I think for a lot of us, that is not, uh, we don't always feel God um, in the ups or the downs. Sometimes in the ups, we're so joyful and we are experiencing so much favor in the world that uh, we forget God. And sometimes we are so much in the doldrums that we don't believe God's there. But in today's message, in the book of Genesis, we read that God is absolutely 100% with Joseph, no matter what. Um, but before we dive in to Joseph's life, I want to, I kind of have, so... In this scripture, Joseph is is uh, said to be really kind of, what does it say? Very attractive, basically. Uh, yeah. Kind of this boyish charm. So I have a few pictures of what Joseph may have looked like. So the first one, <laughs> Mr. Bloom, right? Next, old school Rob Lowe, anybody? Becca? I know. Yep. Next. Oh, the king. And then, oh, that's 17-year-old Jake. <laughs> Frosted tips, fake tan, everything I'm wearing is Abercrombie. And then, the, of course, the cut bootleg jeans. Just so pathetic. Okay, take that off the screen, please. Thank you. So Joseph is still pretty young at this point in his life. He's been thrown into the pit by his brothers. Uh, and now he finds himself kind of on a journey to Potiphar's house. But before we go into the current situation that we read in the book of Joseph, there is a lineage that Joseph comes from. That's one that speaks directly to why Joseph is the way he is. So in Genesis 12, we see Abraham, uh, Joseph's great-great-grandfather, deceiving Pharaoh. In Genesis 26, we see Isaac, his, his great-grandfather, deceiving the king Abimelech. Both of them, for some reason, thinking it's a good idea to fake out that their wife is actually their sister because they're just so pathetic and fearful. 
Then Jacob deceives Esau, his brother, and Isaac, his father, to get a birthright that wasn't even really his. And then lastly, as we read two weeks ago, we see Jacob's sons deceiving him about the death of his son, Joseph, saying that he was really dead when he wasn't. They actually sold him into slavery, as we remember. So as we read into Joseph and we begin to learn about his character and his person, it's not hard for us to see why he is the way he is. He's not kind of this um, big-headed, conceited guy just for the sake of it. It's how he was taught through the generations of his fathers and forefathers before him. So as we dive in, let's start um, in the Word and read uh, Genesis chapter 39. It's going to be verses 1 through 23. Read along with me. In the black Bibles around you, it's going to be page 33. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmael, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And blessing, the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes out on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. Duh. How, can, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as, he spoke, and as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But she left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house and as soon as she, sh as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and he cried out with a loud voice. And so, soon, and so as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me and laughed at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. 
And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the Lord, uh, gave him uh, in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison, but uh, and the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. The word of the God, the word of the Lord. So, I I outlined Joseph's lineage. And the crazy thing about that lineage is that it's not a lineage of people that were cast out from God, but it is a lineage of people who were broken and sinful and feared and worried that God continued to use despite their shortcomings. God was with this family, and God is with Joseph. That is the thread through this entire sermon that I want you to keep in mind, that God was not only with this family throughout all of the ages, but God was with Joseph as well. So we get to the Potiphar's. I'm going to call them the Potiphar's, kind of like a 1950s sitcom family, right? They're a total mess. Um, you have this man, Potiphar, very uh, high um, standing with the Pharaoh, right? So he's told that he is actually the, the, the leader of the Pharaoh's guard. So he and the men that he was in charge of were always around Pharaoh, right? So they're very well respected. But he gives Joseph this amazing amount of responsibility. Um, he gives him the responsibility of the entire household. Now, I don't know how long it took him to get to that point, but we know historically that Joseph probably lived with Potiphar and his wife um, as the head of the household, as a, as a leader of the estate for somewhere between 9 and 11 years. So he was there for quite some time. Um, and in that time, this man, Potiphar, decides all of the responsibility that I hold over my own household, I'm going to hand away to a slave. Now, in the, in the life of Joseph, which is one that shows us a lot of ebbs and flows, a lot of ups and downs, is that for some reason, Christendom sees Potiphar's house, Joseph being in Potiphar's house, as this highlight of his story, as though he was his father's favorite, then he goes to the pit, then he comes to Potiphar's house, and he's given great responsibility, and then he's thrown in prison, as if it's this consistent up and down. But as you read the scripture, what you see is that Potter, I mean, Joseph is still a slave. He is still under the, the mastership of Potiphar and his wife. So it, it is an upgrade for sure that he's not no longer laying in a pit, but keep in mind that he's still owned by people. Someone owns his life. So not only is there this man, Potiphar, who is said to have only had to worry about eating, he's given so much of the responsibility and so much of the care of his own estate away to Joseph that it says all he cares about is what he eats. So that's who he is working under. I would say that Joseph probably felt a great amount of pressure and the responsibility that he had been given in taking care of this estate. Next, the next character we have in this household is Potiphar's wife. Um, 
my, my first question when I was reading it was, so Potiphar now has no responsibility at home. He, sure, he has a job still, but he has no responsibility at home. He has all this time, but yet his wife is over here just sexually harassing this man over and over and over again for years. Where, where's Potiphar? He has all this time. Why is he not with his wife, right? And the interesting thing about this instance with Potiphar's wife is that we have Joseph's brothers stripping him of his coat into which after he was cast into the pit. And now we have Potiphar's wife stripping him of his coat to which he was then thrown into the pit, into prison. So we see this rhythm beginning to occur in Joseph's life. So we have this situation where Potiphar's house in this, this 10 to 11 years where, Potiphar, uh, where Joseph was living there, it's not exactly as cushy and extravagant as we might like to think it was. And we have him living with two people that really could care less about him and one of them who just basically wants to use him. So what does Joseph do? And Joseph flees. Says that he makes the right decision and he goes. So it might have looked like this. Oh, I'm running away. Or this. This is like, those are the whitest looking people I've ever seen in my life. Uh, next. And then Heisman. See ya. But as I was searching for, you know, I was expecting some extravagant painting by Rembrandt for this one and it doesn't exist. But it, the, the images are just that it was kind of this thing where Joseph just ran away. Um, but she sexually harassed him for a long time, for many years. And that was the oppressive spirit that Joseph lived in, in this household. So we read about this episode in verses 8, 9, and 12. It says, but he refused Potiphar's wife and said, behold, because of uh, me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He has put everything that he has in my charge. I think this verse speaks to the reality that even though he was still a slave and even though he had great responsibility and maybe a lot of pressure from Potiphar, that he was pretty okay with the situation. And maybe in his mind he was even thinking, hey, this is the best it's been in a really long time. I need to cling to this thing and make sure no one messes it up, even Potiphar's wife. Joseph goes on to say, he is not greater in this house than I am. That's a pretty massive statement to say to the master's wife. Even your husband's not greater than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And then verse 12, she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. So like I said, no, it's not an ideal situation, but pit or slave who is an estate master. I'd probably take it the state master. You're getting three square meals and you're not lying in the bottom of a pit. Pretty obvious, right? Well, so because, the, because Joseph 
Well, in verse 19 and 20, it says, as soon as his master, uh, Potiphar, heard these words that his wife had spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled and Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison. Something we have to understand about the prison is that first off it says that Joseph put him in the king's prison. So this is not your standard prison. The, the, the second thing we have to understand is that um, if Joseph's offense were true, if Potiphar's wife was telling the truth, the sentence at the time for adultery was death. Why didn't Potiphar kill him? Total legal right to do it. Not only was he in the right because his wife said that this happened, but he was in the right because Joseph was his property. I have to believe that Potiphar did not believe his wife and thought that Joseph was actually innocent. But because of this, he didn't want innocent blood in his hands, so he sends him to the prison of the king. Who are the type of people that we see in the prison of the king? Um, foreshadowing to next week, we see people like the king's baker and the king's uh, cupbearer. These are people that are officials in, in that culture, in the Egyptian culture. And so what we see is that Potiphar probably thinks, he probably didn't do it, but I don't want to dishonor my wife in front of everybody, so I, so I won't kill him, but I will send him to prison. Right? But what does this say about the father? Because as I said, there's this linear string that we're following in the tapestry of the scripture here that God is with Joseph. So like I said at the beginning of the sermon, close your eyes. Let's think about the greatest day of your life and the worst day of your life. Well, this is a pretty bad day in Joseph's life. I don't know if I would say it's the worst day, but it's one of them. And so something we have to ask ourselves as I sure Joseph was asking himself, is God, where are you? Are you with me? It doesn't seem like it. Is God watching? Does God care? Or is it that God, our Father in heaven, who is with us always, because that's what the scripture tells us, is using the sin and brokenness of, our, of us and of the people around us to bring glory to himself. So we know that God is with Joseph. We know that God is with us. Do we feel like God is with us? What about family? The tough situations that you're in. What about career? Uh, this is a dead end job. I'm sitting here pulling the paycheck because it's good, but I don't feel fulfilled. Or maybe it's a situation where you feel God leading you, calling you to something that's scary on the other side. Maybe it's that you were actually fired. Joseph wasn't fired. He was sent to prison. But in our careers, in our jobs, in our vocation and occupation, sometimes we can feel like the step that's coming, the thing that's before us is so terrifying. I want to ask, God, are you with me? Are you there? The holding on is that Joseph was saying, this is as good as it's been in a really long time, so I want to hold on to this now rather than letting go 
and releasing to, to the Lord and saying, I know what's ahead of me is very difficult, but I'm going to trust you anyway. I'm going to believe that you are with me. In Romans 8.28, I want to skip a little, ahead a little bit here on the slides, but in Romans 8.28, it says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Joseph had clearly been called to God's purpose. As we read through these stories in the book of, Je- in the book of Genesis, it's, it's sometimes hard to decipher whether Joseph really believed that God was with him or not. Um, whereas his forefathers were always talking to God, they were always having these kind of like conversations where they're walking around, talking out loud, and everyone around is like, dude, that guy's crazy. We don't see that tendency in Joseph so much, especially in the early days of his life. It just seems that God is working in his life and Joseph is walking along this along this linear path. But if we know, because of the scripture here in Romans, that God works all things for the good of those who love him, I believe that the excavation point there for us, maybe with pen and paper, is do I believe God loves me? And do I love God? Because it's in that truth, it's in that excavation, understanding those things about yourself and your relationship with the Father that can tell us a lot about whether we believe that he is with us, whether that we believe he is good now, was good in our past, and will be good in the future. Some application questions for us this morning. The first one comes from um, our devotional for this coming week, this coming week of Lent. It says, have you ever felt that God has remained silent when you needed him? Now, it's interesting because in the scriptures, we don't really hear um, Joseph crying out to the Lord in this time of difficulty. But for us, have you ever felt that God has remained silent when you needed him most? Two, again, this goes back to the beginning of the sermon, those two big questions. When was a time of pain that you felt God's presence? And then three, when was a time of comfort that you felt God's presence? These last two questions, two and three, I think what they can do for us is begin us, begin us on a journey with God in understanding not just those two pinpoint instances, my, great, the, my greatest time of pain in my life, my greatest time of comfort in my life, but how do I actually relate in my relationship with God our Father in times of pain? And how do I relate to him in times of comfort? Me personally, um, in times of comfort, I'm good. God, thanks, man. Like, I'll wait for the next hardship to come around, and, and then I'll, I'll catch back up with you. That's me, personally. I think some of you all might be that way. Some of you all might be the opposite, to where you are always praising and thanking God in times of plenty, but in times of want, maybe the sadness, the anxiety, the stress, the pressure, the depression sets in so greatly that you feel so distanced from God that you don't connect with him. That's why I think these two questions are so huge for us today. Joseph, again, it's odd because he does not have a lot of conversation with the Lord at this time. He confesses his devotion 
to the Lord because what does he say to Potiphar's wife? He says, I'm not going to curse my God for this. But the conversation kind of ends there. But what we do see, and this is kind of the cool flip of the story in comparison to Joseph's forefathers, is that the scriptures are constantly reminding us. In 23 verses, we hear nine times that God is either affirming what Joseph is doing or that God is with him. Nine separate times. What is God, our Father, trying to reveal to us through this story? God is with us in the good and in the bad, in the hardships, in the pain, in the darkness. That's the thing that we have to cling to today. Do you recognize the same thing in your own life? That's the hard question, and I'm not asking you to have an answer right now. For me, it's pen on paper. That's how I like to process. For some of you, it's going to be talking with friends or family. For others, it might be sitting down on your computer and beginning to hash things out on a blog or something. Maybe that blog is just for you. Maybe it's for others. But it's that hashing out that allows us to have clarity in that relationship. 1 Peter 1 states, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain inheritance which is imperishable. Does that sound like someone who's white-knuckling their way into belief of God, or does that sound like someone who has utter peace in the character and in the life of Christ to have a wholeness of relationship with the Father? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Joseph was called. God was with him. The question is, do we believe that also? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Um, We know that you are with us. And sometimes we just know with our heads and our hearts and our spirits don't feel that connection. So Lord, this coming week, this week of Lent, We ask for you to be with us in the hardships of life and reveal yourself to us clearly. Help us to see and hear you. And more than hear, Lord, help us to listen attentively to the words you have for us. I pray, Lord, for everyone in this room that the words this week that we hear would be that you are with us, just as you were with Joseph. We love you. We thank you for this time. It's in your son's holy name that we pray. Amen.